what does it take to build a home? What does it take to build a home away from home? And what does it take to build a home away from home you cherish so much you would cry if you ever had to give it up? Bienvenue, mon ami. I am Nick. I'm your resident interior designer, a serial expert living currently in my sixth country, and your humble host on this podcast that is all about creating homes that celebrate la joie de vivre. That means celebrating your joy of and your joy for life so that you'll have a place you truly feel you belong to. And this is season three. And this time around, I will be exploring everything concerning the topic of change because we are post-COVID-19. And it's safe to say, life has changed for all of us. And the question is, how have you lived through this massive phase of change? Let's talk about how we can make change work for us. I'll be examining it from all different angles because it's quite complex, n'est-ce pas? And as every season, I'll be inviting some kick-ass guests from all walks of life with all sorts of professional expertise and personal wisdom to tickle the best out of this topic. And it's time to jump right into this week's episode that is an interview I had the pleasure to have with Catherine from BadDaysAbroad.com, who is also a serial expat that has recently repatriated back to her passport country and who helps other expats answer the question, should I stay or should I go? And her personal experience is not the only qualification she brings to the table. I found Catherine on Instagram and I was amazed how concise, clear, and emotionally on point everything she writes is. And that's because she works in strategic communication, change management, and deals with innovation in her day job. And in this episode, I talk to her about what it takes to make a well-thought-through decision in times of emotional turbulence. Now, isn't that a skill we all would like to master? Let's get to it. Well, thank you, Catherine, for being here. I'm so excited to have you. And I'm so excited to start off this new season that is all about making a change and what it takes to make good changes in our lives to start that off with you. Welcome to the A Home Worth Having podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I actually didn't know I'm going to be the first one of the season, so I'm very honored to be able to do that. Well, we've had a chat before, as I always have with all of my guests. And when we talked, we talked about what it takes to make decisions in times of emotional turbulences. So how do we make a sound decision that will change our lives profoundly when there is a lot of unknown variables. And in order to introduce you to my listeners, I found you on Instagram because you answer the question, which sounds is so seemingly simple. And that is the question, should I stay or should I go? And we're referring here to expats and the life that they built abroad. And at some point, that question comes up. Because usually when we as expats, we do go abroad, we always say the beauty of an adventure is that you don't know upfront where the journey will take you. But at some point of this journey, the ease of let's see how it goes, let's see where it takes us is not enough anymore. Or the perception of what used to be easy shifts into uncertainty or shifts into the perception of 
wait, I'm living with lack. There's something that I don't have enough of and I need to change direction. And what direction should I change into next? So this is where the question comes in. Should I stay or should I go? And again, it's seemingly simple, but it involves to consider so much. And this is what we want to talk about today. So the decision-making process is the first step in a whole process that involves change. My first question would be, what is the goal for your clients? What do they want to get out of working with you? I think the goal is uh, slightly different for everyone. They're all aspiring towards uh, the perfect life for them. And what that means for them is very individual, of course, but how they end up working with me is usually to help them uh, find clarity, either by way of understanding what is that perfect life, by way of um, addressing their limiting beliefs about whether they can actually achieve it, uh, as well as finding emotional support about going through some big changes in order to achieve that. Sometimes that means staying on abroad or moving to another country or moving back home. So there's a lot of... Um, it's a lot about aspiring towards life that you want, but then realizing you need to do something about it and then not being ready to make it yet, but knowing that you want to, or at least you would like to. Uh, so that's how everyone ends up, uh, ends up working with me, but their stories are, of course, always different and have a lot of uh, contextual factors and individual factors uh, involved as well. Okay, that. That's what I expected. Like what people want from working with you is clarity. Just like what people want when they work with me is confidence, right? Knowing that they they will be able to do that. And you are a step ahead of that. It's like clarity of what is it that I actually want. So I was wondering, is um, there like a pattern or a certain similarities when you look at the overall amount of your clients? Like, is there a pattern of events that happened in their life that led them to being dissatisfied with where they are now or questioning? Or yeah, is there maybe a similar train of thought prior to coming to you? There, there definitely seems to be, and then that will be the same in whatever sort of question or topic that we would talk about. But in my case, what I see is that A, um, they're still in the process of understanding themselves. That's regardless of age. Um, so they've, they've changed a lot or they're start, starting to understand themselves better or realizing something new about themselves. So they're kind of in this phase of uh, transition and confusion and not quite sure where to go and what to hold on to and, and what to do. Uh, then there's people who have had a rough time settling in abroad, whether that's their first time, second time, or third time, doesn't matter. But their whether conscious or unconscious expectations haven't been met, then they've started to question whether uh, staying where they are is the right thing to do. And you know whether they then think about moving back somewhere or moving back home or somewhere new, it, it, that really depends. But uh, I think the common thing for, for most is that they, they want some sort of familiarity. And that's where my third group comes in mind as well. So they've had something uh, emotionally very disturbing or you know, a, a boat rocking event <laughs> happened to them, whether that's a breakup, uh, a job situation not working out, 
uh, friends leaving. So something that, you know, really affects them emotionally and they want some, you know, comfort and familiarity. And, and that's when people often um, start thinking about moving back home, for instance. So there are definitely patterns. Uh, there are always nuances to every situation, but there are, yeah, uh, common reasons why, why people find themselves in, in, in that questioning mode of should I stay or, or go. Okay, so let me sum that quickly up. That sounds like there is an expectation before going abroad that is coupled with excitement or with fear. It doesn't matter. Like there is there is a certain set of beliefs. Then there is a moment of dissolution and leading them to question themselves. And then they realize that they need to rebuild confidence. They need to rebuild expectation. And they need to rebuild a better foundation, I would say, on how to make the next decision. Is that correct? I wouldn't say so, actually. I can actually relate to, to that summary, I have to say, <laughs> because, you know, the, the, state, the situation or the state of mind that they come to me, right, they're, they're not looking back on that whole experience. Uh, and then I'm able to plot them into a, a perfect line of this is how it's gone for them. It can go up and down in all sorts of unpredictable ways. If I understood you correctly, you're describing the culture shock phase. And, and even that can be very different to how people experience it. My own personal experience from country to country has been completely different. Uh, so I can't say what they've experienced in terms of those phases before they've come to me. But those are the reasons that I, that I listed before that makes them uh, strongly start to think whether they should stay or go or if they want their future to look the way it has been so far. Yeah. No, I think culture shock is what we expect to happen. I've had another episode with somebody who helps expats stay where they are. And she explained to me the term of culture grief, which is then the, the following step when you just realize that it's not the shock about where you are right now that's making you doubt, but the realization that you will not have what you left behind. So it's the grief of the life that you consciously decided not to have and you you didn't expect to grieve. Um, yeah, but interesting. I, I get that. I mean, the reasons or the, the journeys as relatable as they are between expats because the different phases are the same, but the individual experience is always different, of course. So tell me, why can't they make a decision on their own? Why do they need you? Well, I guess uh, and, and I can't speak for them. This is this is sort of my own interpretation, but it's not that they can't make a decision. They're perfectly capable people um, and they've made plenty of decisions before meeting me, right? But there's something about this decision that that makes them more afraid than, than before. So people are not afraid to make decisions per se, and that's not what gets them stuck. It's the consequences that they're afraid of. And the kind of consequences that they're afraid of is, again, sort of different, but they do fall into some sort of pattern. Um, they can be uh, afraid of the unknown. So what if it's worse? What if if I move or stay, it will be worse or just as bad? So people want a guarantee that things will be great before they even commit to something. Um, they can be afraid of the past repeating itself, especially if they've had a bad experience, whether that's abroad or back home or somewhere else, and they haven't fully resolved it for themselves emotionally. 
um, they can be afraid of uh, not having their dreams and hopes come true because they don't think they're worthy of them or, or capable of achieving them. Um, they can be afraid of making a choice that they'll regret because maybe they will change in the future and they're trying to sort of predict the future um, or, or they're not entirely sure how they've changed now and, and then what will make them happiest in the future. So, you know, it can be a variation of those uh, fears all in one as well. So a lot of the, my task is sort of become a detective of what's that fear? What is it that you're the most afraid of? And let's work on that. Uh, let's unpack it. Let's uh, dismantle its power over that person because they're perfectly capable of making decisions. There's just something about this one that's making it a bit, bit harder for them. Right. So what would you say? Is there some kind of process? I'm just reflecting back to the process that I have with my clients. And so for me, for example, step one is always identify what is right now. What are the cornerstones or the factors that we need to consider? And step number two is after we have set the parameters, imagine building a house and you have to put the pegs in where you're going to dig the hole and you were going to pour your foundation. And at the beginning, we set those cornerstones very loosely, those packs, because it's a first estimation. But what would be some of the, the things to consider? What are the usual things people say, I can't make a decision because, and then they give you the yada, yada, yada. And those are the points that need to be covered that are really important. That really depends, I have to say. Um, and this is where, you know, even if the emotional side of things is where I can see the patterns, this is uh, where the where the differences come in. What are the contextual things or, or factors that they are struggling with and, and want to achieve or that are influencing their ability or, or freedom to make a choice? And so it can really range from I am not happy with my job or, you know, I'm worried about my kids growing up abroad uh, or... Um, we have until uh, next Friday to make a decision because then uh, the borders will be closed. You know, it can be from one extreme to the other. So I, I can't say that there are usual reasons in those terms. Um, but the first step for me is always what is happening for you right now? What has brought on this uh, intense confusion for you right now? So that I can start teasing out what is it that you're afraid of? What is affecting you the most? And what do you need? And, and is the answer actually answering the question of should you stay or go? Or is it actually a matter of taking time for yourself? Or maybe finding another job? Or maybe realizing that some dreams were not yours to begin with. They, it's something else that you want, but you've bought the idea that this is the dream you should want. So it can really range uh, or really be different depending on, on the person. So I don't even pro uh, I don't even promote the fact that they need to decide to stay or go, but rather go deeper within to understand what's really happening for them uh, before we start making any decisions or, or discussing uh, that side of things. Well, thank you for clarifying this because I just while I heard you talk now, I realized I didn't take the factor of urgency of decision into account because when when I work with my client. There is no urgency. They have decided they want to stay and they want to make it work. And some are more impatient than others, but there is no deadline. And while you were talking, I was just like, yeah, right. Like, I, I didn't even consider that. So thank you for clarifying this. Um, 
So I was wondering another thing that comes up with change. And one thing that I stumble upon, not always, but very often, is that we automatically assume that the process of change is a finite process and that there are clear phases. Like there's a before, the before is right now, I'm unhappy or the situation is not great of some sort. Then there's a during that takes work, what needs to be done in order to change. And obviously in my case, very simply, that's the renovation or that's the planning process. And then what do I need to nest and build my home? And then there's an after. And in the after, obviously everybody's expecting to be happy or at least that this situation will be better, right? And that always brings me back to the very definition of design. Design is at its core the act of making existing things better. And what I noticed, so it's A, that we always expect that it's a finite process and then frustration or impatience happens when there is no end in sight. For some reason, they expected it's going to be phase A, phase B, phase C, and it's not. And in my case, they want to finally feel rooted and they do not realize that their own actions, they keep themselves in that temporary limbo status because they are not making a decision. So I was wondering if you could speak to that, like what is change and is it a finite process or is there phases to it what would you say well actually i don't think i have much to add because i was nodding all the way through as you were explaining how how you would conceptualize or, or explain change um it's, it's 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 exactly what i what i see and and personally believe as well but perhaps the thought i would add to that is uh, this very human need for certainty and control, or at least this, at least this seeming uh, idea that we have control. And I think it ties in well with this idea that change could be finite. It isn't. We, we change our entire life and we can never predict in what directions we will change as human beings, how life around us will force us to change or when we will feel the need to make a big change ourselves. And and so it's a, I think it's more of a philosophical uh, struggle that people are not ready to have uh, that life is a constant process of change and reinvention and there's no end in sight. And depending on your nature and how much you want certainty and, and frameworks and, and control, you're either going to thrive with that mindset or you're gonna struggle with that mindset. Uh, and, and that really depends again, right? Yeah, no, I like that. Um, definitely. <laughs> the biggest satisfaction always comes A, from doing, getting into action, and B, knowing that certainty, like I'm in control, I made the decision, I'm fine. And then even if it takes longer, you know what's going on. But maybe circling back to the, to the point of impatience and the decision-making process, how do we know if we have given ourselves enough time or yeah, how do we know that it's time to make a new decision? Hmm. It's a it's a, it's a hard one to answer. Um because it I, I hate myself. I'm I'm constantly saying it depends, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's because I, I see such uh I see such different personalities and ways of approaching life that I it's hard for me to say that there's one size or one way 
to identify that moment for everyone. Um, for some people, it's it's about just, it sounds cliche, but you just know. Like you're pushed against the wall, you have a gun to your head and you're like, that's it. It's gonna be hard, but that's the answer. And then they will do it. For others, they, they stay longer in that back and forth uh, thought process, feeling their way through it or thinking their way through it or both. Um, and then when they've had enough, they're like, you know what? I'm just gonna do this. Like I just can't anymore. Um, and then there are others who don't think at all. They're like, you know what? I don't like this. I'm gonna do it. That's it. So it, it's hard to say, right? Uh, it really, really depends. And I also believe that it depends on the subject, maybe with something that's less emotional like your work or God knows, you know, in different areas of your life, you can display different ways of uh, going about making a decision. And, um, and maybe even during your lifetime, at some, during some phases of your life, you're more sort of risk averse and, and more considerate. Well, perhaps when you're younger, you're like, you know what, doesn't matter. I'll just do this and that and, and I'll go with, go with the flow. Or when you have kids, you, you might be more, more worried than you would have otherwise been earlier in your life. And so you think more and you think longer because there's so many factors involved. So, yeah, it's it's a non-answer, I think, <laughs> that I gave you. Um, yeah, so while I was putting my question here in front of you and listening to you, it came to my mind that often the dissatisfaction that we experience with living abroad is that we assume that the word change, we can just exchange it. It's the same as adaptation, right? And the adaptation phase. And that at least with my clients, very often, they, you know, you go abroad, you know, there will be a culture shock, you know, that you have to adapt. But when, oh my God, when will I finally feel like this is it? Like, when have I stopped adapting? When have I rooted myself? And that is sometimes maybe the mistake that we sometimes interchange and we think like, oh, what I need to change about myself <laughs> is just a one-time thing. And that's why we think in phases when we say, oh, it's a change. But in reality, we need to adapt. And that adaptation, that tuning in, that is a constant process. So, yeah. And then again, you know, that ties in with by not making a decision, they keep themselves in that limbo phase, in that adaptation phase, because they have not made a decision what they are finally adapting to. And that is why they feel so torn. So another question for me would be, how much am I willing to invest, to spend, or to do to back my decision? And that plays into the whole idea of, am I willing to be actively creating, or am I just passively waiting for things to happen? Is that something that your clients face as well, The this process of, should I stay, should I go? I always have to, I have to put an emphasis on whatever decision you will take, there needs to be action following and that action needs to be backed by an investment of some sort. Question, to be honest. Uh, okay. It, it felt like it was something more specific to the, the kind of design work that you do. Um, so it didn't immediately spring any thoughts into my mind. Okay. 
All right. Now it was just something that came into my mind. Sometimes it's just the willingness to get into action and to follow up. Or sometimes it's just if the indecision is there and you do not have all the factors, you don't have all the information, you need to be willing to say, okay, I clearly don't know. I could imagine, for example, in your case, if somebody is unhappy with the work situation and they have not asked the question at work, their superior or, I don't know, HR, like, what are my options for the future? Is there a future for me where I could rise or where I could change into a different department, let's say? And then they realize, okay, I need to take action first. I need to make a commitment and I need to invest some energy first before I even can take the decision of what I want to do. And I could imagine that some people are like, you know what, I'm even too scared to ask or I don't even want to go into this direction. Well, in the kind of scenario that you're describing, not the work one specifically, but um, people let's say consciously or unconsciously refusing to take action or at least informing themselves on what their options are. I think there's a a very human uh, fear behind it. And that's actually um, the best way I could put it is that the evil that you know is better than the devil that you don't know. And there's comfort in being in this indecision because what if I did make a decision, then what? I don't know how it's going to be. I'm afraid to find out how it's going to be. I'm afraid to step into that unknown. And so I have uh, all my, you know, I've been there plenty of times in my life where I know I need to make a change and God damn it, I'm not ready for it. And I know I'm not happy in this, but at least it's familiar. And, And so in that sense, it's understandable why on the outside, it looks like, you know, all you need to do is, you know, decide. Mm. But emotionally, you need to get to that point and you will need all the, all the time that you will simply need and no one can say how long that is. So I completely agree with you on a philosophical level that, you know, if you're indecisive, inform yourself, take action. But the emotional side of things, that will take time uh, to get to that point. And for some, it means years. For some, it means days. For some, it means hours. And, you know, it's, it, we are on all on different paths and different journeys. And um, we should never compare <laughs> in, in that sense, um, whether, you know, how fast one or the other is taking action or, or not. They're working through something in order to get to that point one day. Right. Well, then let's talk about that because you mentioned fears. And I remember in our conversation that we had last time, you talked about uh, self-help toolkit on how to deal be aware of how can I deal with a situation if it happens I think indecision in general is just often rooted in fear or in lack of confidence and self right so what kind of fears come up or the the other question every project of change requires some level of courage so the opposite of fear is courage so what kind of courage do we need in order to make a decision? I think there's some things that we need to confront. So either from the angle of fear or the angle of courage, what would you say, what kind of fears come up or what kind of courage is needed to make a sound decision in an emotional situation? Okay. Well, one thing I have to say, you should never try and make a decision when you're emotional. (laughs) That's not a good idea. Never a good idea. 
So I think one thing that needs to be in that toolkit is, is your ability to ground yourself, to, to get to a, a calm place within yourself before you even try to make any sort of decision that applies to staying or going to your job, to your relationships, to what you're going to have for breakfast. So that's one thing, knowing how to soothe yourself when you're emotional. Uh, in terms of fears, I, I did mention them before, but I'll, I'll mention them again. It's the fear of the unknown of what will happen if I make this decision. Will it make give me the happiness I want? It's the fear of past repeating itself because we've had bad, bad experiences. Uh, there's fear of not having our dreams and hopes uh, come true one day. And then there's the fear of, of making a decision that they'll regret. So then on the flip side, what kind of courage do you need? Well, I, again, it's a, I think it's a personal philosophy question, but my take on it is that uh, you need to have faith in yourself that no matter what you decide, you're going to be fine because you know how to take care of yourself. You know how to make good decisions. You, you know what you want. You've always got that, um, not light at the end of the tunnel, but the, what is that light called? The maritime light? Mm. The lighthouse. The lighthouse. Thank you. You've got the yeah. lighthouse there guiding you through the choppy waters, right? Mm. And you know where you're going and everything else is just part of the process. But you know where you want. Uh, so it's it's also clarity about who you are, what you need, where you're going. And these things can change like in terms of that lighthouse. Like it can take new shapes and, and suddenly realize, oh, another lighthouse is actually what I really want now. Um, all of that's fine, but all along you need to have faith in yourself and, and be your own best friend. Of course, it's harder when you have a family because then you all have different ways of of dealing with situations and then when you have little kids they're they're just learning about how to deal with life and what is this thing called life and so there's there's a lot more uh emotional volatility and, and ways of dealing with uh change and having to be courageous that's harder to manage than when you're just by yourself and being just by yourself having to do all this is also quite hard but you know the more people you add the more complicated it, it gets us as well yeah, so I would say those are my, my uh, that will be my summary on what sort of fears and, and what kinds of courage are, are needed to have in your, in your toolkit. Right. Yeah, I think we're drifting now really into the, into the topic of defining the identity of yourself, who you are, and then use that as a ground for decision making versus what we said earlier, what are the outside circumstances, what can I count on? What is loose? And then make a decision. So that, that's, a, that's a different approach. Or that is maybe not different. Maybe it's just an addition. D deciding that I need some kind of other anchoring of other method. And I was just wondering, does it happen that people are surprised by what comes up during their journey working with you? I'm surprised that it happens every single time, but yeah, yeah, definitely. So a lot of the times I feel like I'm not actually there to help them decide whether to stay or go, but help them to identify what is it that they're lacking in their life and how can they best meet that lack. And it's, it's not always about moving the country. In fact, most of the time, it's not about moving at all. It's not about that. Um, it, it always surprises me 
but I'm also always happy to see that they don't need to uproot themselves or, or they can if they want to, but it's all for the, you know, the most beautiful reasons and they should actually go for it. They're just doubting if they can actually make it happen and they just need that little push and, and, and then they're off, you know, flying. Um, yeah, metaphorically and and literally then. <laughs> it's interesting that you're saying this because with me it's exactly the same thing just from the other from the other side of the spectrum that people think that once they move whatever used to be home like the memory of home of how they grew up that is one definition of home and then they're like oh I'm going to do life differently and they often very often do life very differently. But then are surprised that some things stay exactly the same. And it's just a realization that they didn't have to basically flee or run away from where they were because their issues, they travel with them. And it's like, oh, it's not, it's not a place thing. It's a me thing. And so it's exactly the same thing, just, just the other way around, but it runs into exactly the same thing. It's interesting. Um, one thing that comes up for my clients a lot, since they're living in a different culture, they grew up in culture A, they are in culture B, is this whole topic of cultural awareness. And they're very, very aware. I, I always use the same example, just for example's sake, but I'm Spanish. I grew up in Spain and now I live in Sweden. And they're very aware of the differences and what they sometimes do not realize or do that, you know, really need to push is A, they feel often the pressure that they need to be a good expat, the good immigrant, the, the norm conform. They want to fit in. They want to they want to be part of this new society. And they didn't set certain boundaries. They didn't realize that certain boundaries were still needed. And at the same time, it basically comes down to a question of loyalty. They feel like if they don't adapt and don't take everything on and live, let's say, the Swedish way instead of the Spanish way, um, they're being a bad expat or they're not being loyal to the decision that they made, that they will integrate. They are not loyal to the decision of, of integrating. And then at the same time, when they meet family from back home, it's this whole topic of loyalty of who have you become? Like you're part of us, but so many things are different and they feel torn between the, the cultures and the, yeah, for lack of a better word, like I can just call it loyalty right now. And that is something that you can take on as much as you want and you are free, at least in your, inside your home, right? Because at your, in your workplace, certain things are expected culturally maybe um, that are different in Sweden than they are in Spain but at home you are free to decide how you do home you are absolutely free to make your own cocktails and you are absolutely also free to just pick the best fruit to make your cocktail right you don't have to say oh yeah if I take this then I also have to do this and even though they understand that intellectually emotionally that is really a process when, when we go into that it's just like you're right I do not have I do not have to do this so that is where the biggest part of surprise usually comes in when I work with my clients yeah so how important is cultural awareness and your own set of boundaries what would you say in the decision making of should I stay or should I go hmm 
That's an interesting question. And as I was listening, I could recognize it uh, from a completely different angle. Um, yeah, so my, what you call loyalty, I would call social conditioning. Um, and so it's not necessarily, and I think it plays out, as I was listening, I think it plays out differently when we are talking something about something like uh, home. But when it comes to something like making a decision about your life, then uh, the closest term I would use is social conditioning. So it's mm. this idea of whether you should have a house or whether you should be married by a certain point or what kind of job you need to have. And that's not necessarily rooted to the culture of the country that you're from, but more so the communities that you've grown up in, whether that's your school, your family, your peers, uh, the higher education, for instance, that you got. Um, all these things, they're the different subcultures that have influenced your idea of how you should be. But then the question is, is that who you want to be, right? Does that, so it comes to the same point that you ended up on, that you don't need to do all these things that you've seen around you in these different communities. You really don't need to, but of course it takes a lot of courage to go against the, the currents that have been in your life. So that if you don't want to get married, you don't have to get married. If you don't want to, you know, live in the suburbs, you don't have to do that. If you really like working in something that your uh, peers think is stupid, you can still do that because it makes you happy, right? So it, it's kind of the same thing, but it, it's not so much about, at least not in my, my experience, that it's about loyalty. It's just that we grow up in a certain environment and we just take it on because we don't know that you can actually do it in a different way. You need someone, for instance, like you or me to say, you know what, it's okay if you don't, don't, don't want to do it that way. Here's your permission slip. And it's, you know, sometimes all they need. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and then they open up and all these, the world of opportunities opens up for them that they didn't dare to consider before. So, and, you know, whether or not that plays into deciding whether you should stay or go, well, again, I don't necessarily promote that you need to leave the country or, or stay. So it can often mean that you simply need to have a closer look at what you really want to do professionally or, or what kind of kind of person you want to share your life with or whether you're, you know, being the best person that you want to be every single day. So it's, yeah, it's not always really about deciding whether you want to stay or go. Yeah. I always say in the end, when it comes to my metier, building a home, people think interior design or designing a home is about stuff and money spent and <laughs> colors. And it's not. It's about the relationships that we have inside home. Because you can have the most beautiful styled home and still be miserable because, you know, the life that is happening within is not what you want. And in my case, the one thing we're dealing with is relationship, the relationship you have to yourself and the relationships you want to have with other people. Like, who do you let into your home? And that's why I, I guess, use the word loyalty, because when you're an expat, your family is not part of your daily life anymore. And then the, the bigger the, the physical distance, the easier it is to see then also the obvious changes, the outside changes. And then you come and visit somebody and it's like, huh, you've changed so much. And I think it is the knowing that if you would have not changed, you would have been a lot more, you would have stayed a lot 
more similar to me because there's a predictability in staying, right? There's a knowing. If I would have stayed in my passport country, somebody with my background, with my education, there is this roughly predictable path of how this will end up, right? Roughly. Of course, then life happens and there's and there's unpredictabilities in, in every life. But all of that changes when you're an expat. And I then imagine in that situation of indecision of, do I want to stay? Do I want to go home? Or do I want to go into a different third country? That plays all into it. Uh, it hasn't really know, come up that way. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, no. So it's, I can easily see how it would come up for you, like in terms of working with expats and them building their home. And I was, you know, running this image or this cartoon through my head of, of someone, of me visiting a friend that I, you know, that left the country and then said, I'm like, oh, these are the people that you hang with. Oh, this is the life you lead and having that sort of jarring moment of, oh, I don't recognize you anymore. So I could mm. see that, but I, it has not come up like that in, in, in my conversations. I mean, again, it's more about family expecting you to come back, like not taking it seriously that you're abroad or may, that you may even want to be there for the rest of your life or for a long time and have your family or have, a, have kids there and raise them there. So it's more about expectations um, placed upon the person that's, you know, the expats. Uh, of you know growing up already uh, but yeah other than that I, I there's there was nothing that came to my mind actually that's very interesting oh cool well it's always interesting <laughs> you know when when I first connect with with other expats it's always like we see the similarities there's this process of connecting with people if you meet with another expat who's had the same but different experience as in coming as somebody else to a different culture, there is, there's this relation that we're kind of like, yes, I have not had exactly the same experience, but I know what you're talking about. Like it's the patterns that we can relate to, the adapting phase, the trying to find yourself. And so it's really easy amongst expats, even though we've completely different cultures and living in different cultures to find communalities, just as is really easy to see the differences that when you are the expat in a country, like I'm right now in Switzerland, it's like, oh yeah, Switzerland is so close to my passport country, but at the same time, it's so different. It's so easy to say like, oh, I'm not like the Swiss, right? And I know that a lot of expats have that as a, as a commonality. Like I know what it's like to say, oh, I'm other than the local but I'm so similar to you, even though you're German, you're Estonian, you live in Denmark, I live in Switzerland, even though the circumstances are so different, the experience is, is similar. How does this, this is interesting, like I could expand on that, but I would like you to, or I would like to touch on a, on, on a different subject, which is when I found you and I was on Instagram, it struck me how clear you are always in your questions and it struck me how clear you are with everything that you are writing down on your blog yeah I think it's very tight knit and I <laughs> I remember when we talked first I asked you do you think that what you do in your day job plays into what you do on your blog and you said oh it's rather the other way around but let's touch on that if I got that right so that's how I wrote it down you have a PhD in strategic communication 
You did work in change management for the past years and you are now in service design. And that means what service design is, is you help organizations to define who their clients are, what their problem is, and what the best solution, the best help would be for that uh, client. Is that, is that correct? So quite, quite close. So I don't have a PhD in strategic communication, but I do have okay. a PhD in, uh, in, in change uh, in organization. So change okay, in or- change. Or organizational behavior. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And, and service design, you also got it 95% correct, but it's not so much about finding solutions or the best solutions only, but it's also a lot about uh, innovation. I hate that word, but I just said it. <laughs> well, I have that written down. I, I didn't, it didn't come to that, but yes, keep on talking. Yeah, innovation. No, no, I, it, I don't have anything else to... Okay, so PhD in organizational change. <laughs> Sorry. <I'm... laughs> so let's call it uh, how people deal with change at work. Okay, change at work. And you work in change management now, it's service design, and you deal a lot with innovation. I love that, because <laughs> that is exactly the point I wanted to get to. Um, can you define what innovation is? Because I think it's one of those words where everybody's like, oh, yeah, 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 I understand. Like home. Like if I say the word home, everybody's like, oh, yeah. But then what they see in their heads, what my home is and what your home is, is completely different. What is innovation for you? Oh, yeah, there are different schools of thought. And and if there are people listening who deal with innovation, they may pass out at my definition. But my definition is actually quite simple. It's creating change and it's doing something new. But that new does not need to be something that the whole world will, you know, uh, be surprised at. It can be a small change in a process. It can be a button placed in the right place. It can be the right word said at the right time. Something as small as that can be innovation. And it can have an, a humongous effect on how our clients or customers or, or a normal citizen experiences uh, a service or, or a product then. So my job is to figure out what are those moments of opportunity that um, a, whether a company or a public institution uh, doesn't yet know about and that they could use in order to, to give a better customer experience uh, to, to the people that are in touch with them. I love that. Your definition of innovation, I call it a mind blow. That little like, wait, what? Oh, I never seen it from that angle. Like when, you know, you hear the glass breaking and you're like now that I've seen or heard it I cannot unsee or unhear that that is like it changes your perspective forever I love that so my initial degree is product industrial and interior design right and one of my professors always said the big thing about innovation what people don't understand is that Innovation for everybody who's not been working on the innovation is this huge surprise moment. Like what? What you know? What we're just talking about? But innovation never falls into your lap. For the people who have not worked on that, like who you know, then just observe the final product, that change moment. For them, it's a wow moment. They didn't expect it. It happens. But for everybody who's involved into innovation, it's nothing but a surprise. It's something that you've been working on tirelessly and then finally at some point things clicked and it made it work so there's a lot of trial and error up front of it would you agree with that 
Yeah, definitely. There's um, and it's one of my biggest pet peeves about my day job. Then it's that for people who haven't had the chance to work with innovation, uh, or you know, innovative approaches even, or, or work on something completely new, they they expect it to be something so mind blowing and so ah oh, and amazing and. And it's a lot of work to actually kind of curb those uh, expectations and realize, you know what, maybe all that you need is, is a little tweak here and there, and that's going to have a huge impact. And, and then they're like, oh, that's not innovation, but it is. Um, and so, but even figuring out what is that little thing, it, it is tireless. I completely agree. It's a trial and error. There's a lot of testing. There's a lot of research that goes into it. There's a lot of trying to understand things from the perspective of the person that you're trying to serve or service. And, mm. and that's not sexy work. <laughs> that's not innovative, not. But, it, but that is innovation. It's hard work. And then, you know, if you end up being mind blown about, well, let me say that even differently, you know, uh, why do we love iPhones or MacBooks? Because it's so, so comfortable to use it's so seamless we don't even think about it but to get to that point that it's so seamless that you don't even think about is is the result of a lot of hard work a lot of trial and error someone trying to understand what would make this the most com most comfortable thing so often enough in my in the kinds of projects that i'm involved in anyway the most innovative solution is one that the customer will never even notice when they have no complaints that's when I know mm -hmm. I've done my job, right? And mm -hmm. that's not that's not you know something you you shout from the rooftops and and you know you have a big show about like Apple does. It's that's not how it is. It's so seamless that you don't even pay attention to it. That's that's my idea of innovation, right? Um, it's crazy. Yeah, I know. Like I'm sitting here and nodding, and I'm trying not to do mm -hmm, mm -hmm in order to ruin the recording, right? So I'm holding myself back. But it's funny. So you are having right now those two angles. You are working with bigger organizations where you're still working with individuals, but in the end, it's something for the greater good. Like there is, it's not about the person. And then you have also the private angle with what you do on your blog that you do work with individuals or with couples or with families. So very small scale and very big scale vision of what innovation is. How does innovation play into the decision making for individuals would you say like i have my own little theory but before i get into that i would i just wanted to ask you the question uh, where do you see parallels and where do you see that's completely different mm -hmm. yeah that's a that's a really good question and i think here it's important to uh bring back my definition of innovation which is simply changing things up, doing something new in a way that works for whoever needs to work for it, the target group. Um, one thing that I would say is very different between this personal way of doing innovation and uh, a more, uh, let's say, uh, the business side of innovation is the scale, of course. Uh, because on a personal level, it's only you being affected by change or at least trying to go through some process of change maybe your partner and your family too, but it doesn't really get that much bigger than that. But when it comes to organizations, you have to shift the mindsets 
uh, of a whole department of a whole team or perhaps even the whole organization. So you're dealing with the psychologies and the resistances, different ways of resisting change uh, times however many people you're involved with. Because one thing we forget with innovation is that there would be none if we, there were no people involved. And what's common for all people? That they're emotional beings, that there's human psychology involved there. And so a lot of my work, the, the similarities that I have on the, the private side of the, the, the personal kind of support that I offer and my, my business side of it or day job part of it is the fact that I'm actually a psychologist <laughs> for, for, for people. Even if they're part of a big team, I'm, I do need to take into account the, the how should I say, the, the psychological ability of that leader, of that whole team to start on that journey of innovation, um, to go through that process and to hold their hand throughout that whole process. Uh, and, and the way, um, how should I say, the success or the, not the success, but how good that experience is going to be is directly dependent on how those people are able to deal with change and the thought of uncertainty and not knowing how what sort of great idea is going to come out of this. Um, and it's not that much different from what I do on a one-to-one -one basis, right? It's, it's also helping someone get ready for change, whether that means changing your job, actually, rather than moving to another country. Um, uh, so, yeah, I lost my train of thought there now. But it, anyway, <laughs> yeah. the, the point... The point I wanted to make is that what I do on a one-to-one -one basis is not that different because I help them to psychologically prepare for change, understand what they need and how they need to go about uh, doing that. But I'm not telling them how to do that. I'm um, you know, helping them find those resources within themselves to go through that process. So perhaps yeah. that's one more thing that's different from on the business side where I am actively mentoring them and giving them the tools to, to come up with something that is, you know, by some definition, innovative. Mm. Yeah, my feeling was, or feeling expectations was like, when we work with organizations, it's about taking the personal emotion out, because it's not about you per se, as the person inside the organization that has to be okay with that innovation. It's about you have to do your job, even if you don't like it. If you like it, it's even better. But it's not about you as a person. While I think, and I might be too simply said again, um, but when it is about in your private sector, it's all about you. And it's all about embracing the, the emotion. And it's all about <laughs> diving into it and acknowledging it and not taking it out. Would you say that? Actually, no, I have to really disagree with you because I'm not from that school of thinking when it comes to change management at work. I see people, you know, we go to work, we're still human beings. We may not be showing our personal side at work, but we're still human beings. We still have feelings, we have motivations, we have ways of coping, ways of leading, ways of being an employee. And those all lead back to how we are emotionally. And if we cut that out from the equation of dealing with change, we're effectively telling people you're all robots and you should be okay with whatever. So my approach is actually the very opposite of that. It's bringing in the emotions. I don't hold, you know, one-on-one -on -one, uh, therapy mm. sessions with them, 
But I do yeah. address the fact that, you know what, this space that we're in right now, it's supposed to be uncomfortable. It's okay if you're going to yeah. react by resisting this as much as you want or getting angry at me, even though I'm not the one, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. be angry at. I allow all of those feelings because that's the only way we'll get through this. Um, so I, I like to think, and that's what I employ in my, you know, work methods as well. Mm. to bring in the emotional side uh, at work as well. Yeah, no, I, when you were talking right now, I totally realized where I where I put my words wrong, right? I didn't mean to say, like, don't bring your emotions to work. Um, it's about, I guess, not taking it personal. Like, have your emotions voice what it is, but some emotional detachment still needs to happen in order to when you disagree, but in the end... If it's not your decision to make, you still have to be okay with the decision being different than what you would have preferred. I think it really depends on the situation we're yeah. talking about. Yeah. And I think in the power relationships there, uh, what sort of uh, question are we talking about? Uh, you know, work is an, is an uh, infinitely exciting and diverse uh, area of life. Mm. Um and so in that sense, it's hard to make, um, you know, a, at least I find it hard to make a broad claim that you should be always detached. I think it's very hard to be that way. And if you put, if we put that up as a standard that you should always be detached, then it will be very hard for people to be yeah. people. And I believe that people are people. So it's rather how can we, you know, do the least amount of damage while being people? And at work, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's sort of the approach that I take. Mm. No, no, in, yeah. Again, I have I'm having one realization after another right now because I was thinking about work in my line of work, which is when I did work for architects and we would do branding or commercial design, and then what I refer to is the is the result that a certain person who is in charge they want a certain result, like they say they want result A. And then they make a decision that will not give them that result because that result is client driven and not their personal preference. But they insist then, right? But my personal preference is, and that's how we make it. And then you have to say, okay, what? <laughs> you know, whatever. Either you convince them and say, like, is is this for you? Because then it's we're more into residential design and it's your home, it's your personal preference because you are the client. But then we had to remind them, and you are dealing with work completely different because my job is to deliver a good result as in who does it serve and in that case the client of my client but you are you are working with people at work literally and that was not really actually no no the, okay. the situation that you describe is just my everyday life basically where you have people being people demanding that this should be done my way when that's not going to serve the client, that's, that's not going to work for them. But perhaps where the, the difference in perspective that I have, and I'm wondering all along if we have cultural differences in how we are at work here, I don't know, it's exciting. Mm. But you know, I would interpret that person saying, this should be my way. Um, as a psychological resistance to change rather than, um, you know, some people having to deal with it and accept it and just like that. My, if I were in that situation, I would want to get to know what is the motivation behind that person? Why is he or she pushing for that thing? 
why is it hard for them to accept that the client wants this? And so that's where I go in and, and you know, become this little part-time psychologist, basically. <laughs> no, I can, I get to, yeah, <laughs> we could totally have um, a conversation about that for another hour. Um, I've got two more questions for you. A, because you mentioned it earlier, it's going back to the prerequisites of what does it take to accept and deal with change better than others do? Is it mindset? Is it preparation? What are the prerequisites that we need to have or that we need to work on or we need to be aware of, of making change easier? You said that earlier, that some people just deal with change better than others do. Yeah, uh, well, that's a fact. <laughs> and and you're depending on how good you are with change by nature. I do think some personality traits or Uh, how should I say, ways of being are more ingrained in us than others. Mm. And then it's a matter of, uh, do you want to? Um, so let's say that you're someone that likes more certainty than change and, and uncertainty. So then the question for you is, do you want to put yourself in situations where it's very uncertain? So to a certain degree, you can control that, you know, by not becoming an expat, for instance. That's one way to not upset your nervous system. But then there are other things that you can't control, like you get laid off or, or you get you break up with someone. Um, so that's when 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 it's a change that you have no control over, uh, then it needs to be uh, something that works for you, for your nervous system. How can you soothe yourself to help yourself feel that you have things in control or that you can find some like philosophical relief in knowing that this too shall pass. It's hard right now, but it will pass and I will feel better again soon enough. And for those who are you know, comfortable with change or at least uh, let's say more tolerant, I don't think anyone's really comfortable with change. Um, I've learned that about myself that even though I do well with change, it's because I just have a higher tolerance for uncertainty, that's all it is. <laughs> but I still need the same tools. Um, and that applies for someone else that's more used to change and comfortable with change uh, as well, that they need to have their own set of tools that will help them to deal with the uncertainty. And a lot of it comes down to faith that things will work out or that you will make things uh, work uh, if and when you need to. Um, short, uh, long story short, it's a lot about your, your mindset, knowing what you need to feel more safe and secure And then giving yourself that, uh, whether that means being with your friends or going home to your family for a while or keeping busy. You know, we all have different ways yeah, of coping, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. And, and we, need to, we need to know what those are and, and give ourselves that sort of relief. Yeah. Carol Drake calls it the fixed mindset and the, the learner mindset, the way how you formulate things in your head and what you're convinced of or your, you believe But then also I agree with you on the point that certain changes or our tolerance is so high because we just practice and it's not really a change anymore. It's just a repetition of a change that we've been through already, right? So people are always, when I tell them I speak six different languages, they're like, what? And how do you always rethink everything? It's just like, it's not rethinking. Like the pattern of learning a new language, I did that five times before right? The exposing myself and then finally going from theory of learning to the practice of actually speaking, like the confidence, 
yes, it is to a certain degree. It's always exciting and, and I'm nervous, but I have had the experience of exposing myself before. And I've had the practice of not taking my mistakes too serious before. So there is a practice to that. So sometimes change is not really change. It's just a repetition of a pattern in a slightly different version. That's true. And I think that's a that's a great point that I, I recognize that in my own life as well, that I'm not afraid to move to a new country. I'm not afraid to start a new job. I'm not afraid to start finding new friends because I've already done it a million times. So I kind of know the pattern to expect and the feelings to expect but then as I was thinking that, uh, well, listening to you and thinking that, <laughs> wow, mm-hmm. multitasking, um, I also started, uh, I was reminded of cases where, you know, you are very experienced as a serial expert and you've been around the block a few times, but then a perfect storm appears where there's just too many new things and some of yeah. them are too yeah. unfamiliar and you're just, you're emotionally not prepared and then you're floored and you think, I've done this for so many years and suddenly I'm like, it's my first time living abroad. I've, I've heard cases like that quite a lot as well. Yeah. And, and then it's like, oh, have I not learned anything? Of course yeah. you have, but it's a perfect storm and, and you can't be that strong. I'm good with change person all the time. <laughs> oh, you make me laugh. So you call it a perfect storm and I call it the turkey or tapas dilemma with my clients. <laughs> So it's exactly the same thing. Again, same thing, completely different approach is that when I talk to my clients about change, it's like, do you want turkey or do you want tapas? And the difference is, imagine you are inviting people to come to your house and you're inviting them for dinner. If you cook a turkey, right, that classic picture of the Thanksgiving turkey, that huge bird in the middle of the table, right? It's like a statement piece. You come in and people, all they see is like, whoa, that's a turkey, right? And everything that is around, like the mashed potatoes and the carrots and the caramelized onions, it's just like they don't even see it. There's other stuff, but it's like, it's that one big thing. And you take it in and it's this wow moment. Whilst you can have people for dinner and then you can have tapas. And they're like, all they see is like little bolts of, yeah. And then they can be like, okay, I don't see how this is going to fill us all. There's just like 20 little bolts of little things that don't look like much. And then when you sit down, you still have the same amount of food, but you don't realize it. And the atmosphere is completely is completely different. And that's when I say, you know, the little thing, they can create that perfect storm as well. And when you have too many flavors coming at once, you're like, the turkey looks like so much more. And it could be, it can be a lot more. But, you know, if you spice it up correctly with a lot of little dishes, then you create a different effect and it can still be overwhelming. Or like, you know, then I go into another kind of psychology of how people concentrate on the different things that are on the table, you know, the atmosphere that it creates. But that's, it's so funny. You call it a perfect storm and I call it tapas or turkey. (laughs) And it's like, you think like, it's not much. It's here a little bit, there a bit. And that's, but that's what creates the perfect storm. And like, whoa, actually that is too much for me. And you couldn't have picked one thing out that tipped the scale over to to the side where it's like, oh, this is too much. But it definitely happened. But you cannot pick the one thing. Well, it was so easy to say, wow, that turkey was amazing. That's the one huge thing on the table. 
um, it really depends on what you focus on and how much change you can handle at a time. <laughs> Anyways, interesting. My last question is actually, what have I forgotten to ask you? When you oh, think about the, the question. topic, yeah, that's the question because there's always like I go into this talk with an agenda and I have expectations and a whole lot of assumptions of like this is going this way. And I'm actually quite happy that you on quite some point said, no, no, actually, it's not like that at all for me. It's like, good, great. I learned something because then it's like not me just assuming wildly. No, like what is when we talk about change and decision making and emotions and making a rational or a good choice for yourself or with the agenda of, again, the best choice of yourself, like to exaggerate it. Some last wise words or like what have I forgotten to ask you? What comes to mind? What have we not spoken about? Wow, what a great broad question. <laughs> <laughs> Some last wise words. You know, the, the one thing that, uh, you know, never fails to surprise me is that I just share my thoughts and my little philosophies of, of life that are very personal to me on um, uh, through my blog at first and then Instagram and now through the coaching services as well. And, and I never feel like I'm terribly wise. It, it just, it never, I never understand it like that. Um, most of the time, I don't remember the things I say. And then the next time the client says, oh, you said this thing last time and it really changed things for me. And I, I don't even, it sounds really wise, but I don't remember saying it. And so when you ask me like some good wise last words and I got stuck on the, the wise part of it I, and just realized I never feel like it. I've had a very colorful life and I, I've experienced plenty of things and I guess mm, I, I enjoy sharing it, but it really depends on the listener and, and what's wise for them and what is that little bit of thing that they need to hear right now. And, and I hope that people who've been listening to us talk about change in all different ways have found that little nugget that they needed to listen to right in that moment. Um, so yeah. I think those are my, my wise last words. Okay. Well, speaking of sharing then, where can we find you? You have a website, you have an Instagram. That's how I found you, <laughs> right? And I know, well, you spoke about the coaching, but you just launched this week. Well, depending on when the people hear that, it might be a while back. You just got out a, a new guidebook. Tell us all about it. Tell us about your website, where we can find you. How can people connect? And uh, yeah, how can they reach out to you? Sure. So uh, I started out with uh, my blog, which is called baddaysabroad.com. And you can also find me on Instagram where I share a bit more often these days, uh, which is, uh, well, if you type in bad days abroad, you'll, you'll find me as well. Uh, I think there's some underscores in between bad and days, but you'll find me. Um, and then that's true. Uh, I do offer coaching services, so you can uh, send me an email. If you just need a fresh perspective, uh, you can uh, get one-on-one -on -one coaching, whether it's a single session or for a longer period of time. Um, and then, yes, just recently I, I launched a workbook. So when you're When you enjoy working or, you know, when you enjoy reflecting by yourself and you just need structure uh, and some thematic uh, guiding questions and exercises to help you get on the way, then this is a way to do it at your own pace. Um, 
it also has guiding questions for for those of you who are in a relationship and you need to make this decision together. So a lot of clients come with uh, with that request, like how are we gonna make this this decision together? So then there are some guiding steps in there as well. So it's not just for uh, people that have to make this decision on their own. Um, yeah, and then I think we need to emphasize one more time at this point <laughs> that this work that, that goes into decision-making if you expect at the end the big revelation of knowing I know exactly what I want and how I want to do it and should I stay or should I go. Um, again, innovation is from the outside. If you have not been involved in the process, seems like wow and all of a sudden. But if you are the one creating that innovation, it's work and it's circling back and it's asking question and circling back and it's asking another question in different areas, I guess, of life. And that's not a little thing to do, right? It, that's so true. And you put it so well, actually. Uh, yes, that's why a lot of this work of deciding whether you should stay or go is a lot about asking questions from yourself and not all of them will be comfortable questions. Um, some of them, you you know, depending on your relationship with yourself, you're able to ask some very hard questions from yourself and hear the answer. But if you need to have an objective voice in your life to to mirror back what you may be missing uh, in that constant circle thoughts and going on in, around in your head in circle, then then do feel free to to reach out to me. And if you want to build a beautiful home while you're an expat, then I think Nicole is. Uh, absolutely perfect person for that. I wish you were not just in Switzerland, but also here in Estonia, because I, I love your approach. Um, and if, you know, if I could fly you in here <laughs> in my future home, I would. Oh, well, that's interesting because I, you know, I actually don't work in that way with uh, with clients as in I go into their houses and make the, like, I, we, I can do that. But I also like, just like you, I have a, you know, I have a process of guiding you through of actually getting you from the feeling, what is a feeling or a thought in your head, and how do we visualize that? And then you make your complete own decisions. I'm just here oh, to. Oh wow! I <laughs> I never realized that. Oh, that's yeah, yeah. That's well, I'll do that too. That's innovative. Uh, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we talked about this before. Like, but, but I work a lot with memories, right? With the memories of what home used to be and what you want home to be. And again, just because home used to be A, <laughs> doesn't mean that it has to be. You, you are free to just take the best part and then replace the other ones for something completely new and create your own mix. It's just that, you know, a lot of these unconscious cycles of just assuming that's what I know and that's how it has to be. Even though you've seen other people seen it differently, it doesn't cross sometimes your mind that you can do it differently. But interesting, clearly I have not been communicating that clear enough. Uh, I will get back to you about that strategic communication part. <laughs> well, Catherine, thank you so much for being on a Home Worth Having podcast. Thank you for sharing. I do want to acknowledge that I'm absolutely amazed on how clearly you communicate everything. Everything that I've read to you was just like, oh, she gets to the point so nicely. That is always my feeling when I see posts of you. I'm like, ah, oh, well asked, well put to the point. That is always what I see. And yeah, thank you for sharing everything that you shared. And thank you for just disagreeing <laughs> when you did. And I think that's always like, this is part of the process, right? 
right that's the academic in me you know i i love to discuss and i accept that people have different views and and i think that's the interesting part and i think that's what we need to learn to hold two opposable opinions at the same time that's absolutely it doesn't have to be either or like sometimes it's the tension in between that you can have a and b even though they are at the different end of the spectrum exactly yeah But thank you so much for having me. This was a, a blast. Uh, we we talked about change from uh, approaching it from angles that I don't normally get to do. So I really, really enjoyed this. Brilliant, brilliant. And I will definitely link all your accounts under this post to wherever the people are listening in. Your links will be just below. So click. Thank you. Thank you. All right, this is Sigmar Emi. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Catherine from Bad Days Abroad. And if you asked me to pass on the message this interview taught me, it would be the following. You know how we say, before making a decision, you need to get your facts straight. Well, if you find yourself confronted with the decision, should I stay or should I go, and it's throwing you into an emotional turmoil, then it's not just the facts that we need to get straight, but also the context we find ourselves in. The decision to go abroad in the first place was made in a different context, at a different time, and quite possibly by a different person than you are right now. So really dive into the examination of what is now. What are the elements that are outside of you? So everything dictated by the circumstances you find yourself in. And what are the elements that lie within you as a person that play a determining factor? Because as I always like to emphasize, every change creates first more chaos before it creates improvement, satisfaction, or ease. So where can you find or create stability if you find yourself in a phase of change and more chaos? Which elements can be your lighthouse as guiding principles and as motivation to get it done? Because just as Catherine said, every change is also always a quest to understand ourselves better. Understand the context of your confusion and unhappiness. Understand yourself and what your expectations were and if they are different now. Understand and name what scares you. And finally, understand what your needs are in order to get that feeling of satisfaction that you are after. And as I have now been re-listening to this interview several times, I cannot let go of the notion that we misunderstand so often what innovation on a personal level really is. Because we have been so often witness to innovation from an outsider perspective, we only perceive it as this out-of-the-blue wow this mind blow or surprise novelty. So it's just natural that we believe that the quote-unquote real innovation of self or of life is the same as a reinvention of self or the way we live. We assume it will be very disruptive. And yes, whilst we might seek fundamental change, total disruption can be a scary thing. So maybe we should really look into how innovation is created on an organizational level and be inspired by that. It's laborsome for everybody involved, and the ideal goal is more often than not to create less stress and more ease for the client or customer. I like to call this quiet innovation because you just realize its full impact way later. 
And since you are in this case, your own customer, ask yourself, what would make my whole life seamlessly easier in a non-disruptive manner? Because in the end, you might not want to disrupt the flow of life, but just change how you handle doubts, problems, overthinking, and your own confusion. And wouldn't that be some wow innovation if we don't take the all or nothing approach, but just disrupt how disruptions affect us? Gosh, this is meta, but you know what I mean, right? All right, let's wrap this up. If today's episode resonated with you, if you found value it, please leave me a review. It truly makes a difference in getting found by the right people. And if you feel gracious but are on the go as you listen to this, please consider this episode worth sharing. I'd be thrilled if you post a link about this episode on social media, but maybe there's just that one person in your circle you feel would profit most from it. Send it to them, because a home worth having is all about creating belonging and connection to the right people in your life. And if you want to get into contact with Catherine, you can find her at baddaysabroad.com or type in baddaysabroad on Instagram. And then option number three is always just follow the link below this episode. But as for now, I stay your humble but very enthusiastic designer friend at a home worth having, and I hope to talk to you soon again. A bientôt, Nicole.